The following podcast is brought to you by the Village Sendo. For more information, visit villagesendo.org. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Gesho, and I'm a senior student at the Village Zendo. And it's just, it's extremely delicious to see your faces. Oh, and somebody turned on the Zendo camera. Thank you, whoever did that, because it's great to see people in the Zendo as well. Uh, I, I deeply appreciate that. Um, so I'm away from New York at the moment. I'm in Provincetown. Uh, but in New York City and in several other cities, today is Pride. So happy Pride, everyone. And it's in a sense, all of June is is Pride Month. And I've been um, thinking a great deal about that um, and what it means in this particular moment. Um, so today I'm actually going to talk to you about some things that I think you all know. Um, which have to do with the state of emergency that's going on for LGBTQ plus people in this country, um, and in particular for trans people. Um, and I'm sure everybody here is at least a little bit aware of the rise of legislation and government policies in many states that target speaking about, reading about, and even seeing people who do not conform to gender binaries and heterosexual norms or, trans who, or who have transitioned from one gender to another. These are policies that are threatening parents and doctors to keep them from offering gender confirming care for young trans people. And even drag shows are being policed and shut down, and pride parades threatened uh, by violence. Um, and we know that this, all of this intersects profoundly with related policies that are trying to keep young people from learning about systemic racism, policies which are trying to eliminate the rights of people with wombs to make their own choices about their bodies and their reproduction. It's pretty bad. It's bad. And though there's been a little bit of good news recently, um, some of these laws have been struck down by the courts, but the situation is very dire. And I think worse even is that this climate of hostility and suppression has a direct effect on the well being and the mental health of all uh, queer, trans, non-binary persons, and especially young people who are at greatly elevated risk. Um, and I'm hearing all about this all the time on my social media and in my media. And one of the feelings that I've been getting is that people in my communities don't quite know how to respond to this. There's been such a long period of increased openness, acceptance, and um, really good news for anybody in these communities that this, um, this hostility, I think, has everybody a bit taken aback and a bit uncertain about how best to proceed. Um, and we have quite a few uh, trans and non-binary members of our Sangha and parents of trans and non-binary teens. Um, and what, so my question is in a way, what in the face of all this, do we as a Sangha uh, do? What do we, what do we say? How do we respond? What 
are, do our teachings and what do the Zen practice have to offer in this situation? Yeah. So first, I hope that the samadhi of our practice tenderizes us, as uh, Miyoko Roshi once uh, talked about when we were on retreat some years ago. And I hope uh, that the prajna or wisdom of our practice gives us the capacity to respond, as Enki Roshi has often uh, said. I hope that our practice gives us the flexibility and strength to serve in whatever situation we find ourselves. And I hope that we all throw ourselves into the political struggle against transphobic policies. But I also hope that we can look for and find ourselves in the teachings, no matter who we are or how we identify. <clears throat> that the Zen teachings can recognize us and that we can recognize ourselves in them. And one place we can look for this kind of recognition is in the stories of all the various Buddhas, Bodhisattvas, teachers, monks, lay people, and students who appear as exemplars in our literature. What qualities do they embody? What qualities do they celebrate? So over the last week, I've been able to catch up with some of the recent uh, Dharma talks. And um, I was really delighted to find that they seem to be lining up just uh, to this moment. Uh, Joan Sensei, in his talk recently, spoke about the challenges of being a healthcare provider at a college that didn't have the budget to fully address the mental health needs of the students, particularly of the trans and non-binary students. And one thing that he mentioned is that simply by offering his own pronouns, as he met a student, he created some small but important recognition, some small sense of possible safety and community. Um, and I can now offer that my pronouns are she and they. Um, Enkyo Roshi gave a talk remembering the life of Shuzan Harris Roshi and talking about what it means to embody the energies of a bodhisattva. She said in passing that Avalokiteshvara or Kuan Yin could be considered our trans bodhisattva, which is exactly what I've been thinking about and wanting to talk to you about today. Uh, so thank you, both uh, Joanne, uh, Joanne and <laughs> Roshi. So let's further consider this bodhisattva that we know both as under the names of Avalokiteshvara and Kuan Yin. The bodhisattva we know as a male, as female, and is able to change into any form. The usual story goes like this. In India, Avalokiteshvara was understood and depicted as male. As Buddhism entered China, their name was translated into Chinese rather than transliterated and became Guanyin. So there are two competing understandings of the root meaning of Avalokiteshvara's name. One is uh, as the person who looks down uh, gazes down, perhaps gazes down on the world. And the other uh, root gives the meaning of hearing sounds, which is often translated as hearing the cries of the world. And um, scholars and even translators uh, go both ways with these. Uh, but the Chinese translation guanyin means the latter, the one who hears the cries of the world. So for the first few centuries in China, guanyin was depicted as male. Their robes left them bare-chested, in the Indian style. They sometimes had a thin mustache and occasionally you could see the bulge of their male form. 
But for reasons that scholars can't resolve, and I've just spent the last week or so reading uh, a couple of lengthy scholarly books on exactly this topic, uh, no one quite knows why sometime in the 10th century in China and then later in Japan and some other countries, Guanyin was, began to be depicted as and understood as female. So let's just for a moment celebrate Guanyin's transition. Happy Pride, Guanyin. Uh, and so, as I said, that scholars really are, differ about how and why this happened, and there really isn't a good resolution or a satisfying story. Um, some point to the influence of the Tibetan figure of Tara, who was considered to be a kind of female counterpoint or companion or attendant to Avalokiteshvara. Others point to the legendary Chinese story of Miao Shan, a daughter who defied her father's choice of husband and sought refuge in Buddhist practice. Um, and eventually she was transformed into a kind of celestial being. And then other scholars suggest that there was a lack or need in the Chinese spiritual landscape that only a female Guanyin could fulfill. And to be honest, they don't know. What we do know is that the female Guanyin appeared and became in many ways the most popular figure for veneration in China and Japan. But why in particular Avalokiteshvara or Guanyin? Why not one of the other bodhisattvas or other uh, figures in the Buddhist pantheon? Um, the, the bodhisattva Avalokiteshvara is first described in chapter 25 of the Lotus Sutra. Um, I think they're mentioned slightly in, a, in an earlier sutra, but the first real description comes in the Lotus Sutra. And so I just want to read you a little bit of the beginning of that. Um, in the translation that I have, it's called, uh, the chapter is called, The All-Sidedness of the Bodhisattva Regarder of the Cries of the World. At that time, the Bodhisattva Infinite Thought rose up from his seat and bearing his right shoulder and folding his hands towards the Buddha spoke thus, world honored one, for what reason is the Bodhisattva Avalokiteshvara named regarder of the cries of the world? The Buddha answered the Bodhisattva infinite thought, good son, if there be countless hundred thousand myriad kotis of living beings suffering from pain and distress who hear of this Bodhisattva regarder of the cries of the world and with all their mind call upon his name, the Bodhisattva regarder of the cries of the world will instantly regard their cries and all of them will be delivered. If there be any who keep the name of Bodhisattva, regarder, regarder of the cries of the world, though they fall into a great fire, the fire will not be able to burn them by virtue of the supernatural power of that Bodhisattva's majesty. If any carried away by a flood call upon his name, they will immediately reach the shallows. So the Buddha in talking about Avalokiteshvara keeps going and goes on to list many dire situations. Even if a cyclone blew a person to the land of the demons, even if they were being beaten by sticks and swords, even if a person guilty or innocent was bound by chains, even if a caravan was set upon by robbers, anybody could be rescued or saved by saying the name of Avalokiteshvara. 
Further, just by contemplating Avalokiteshvara, a person can become free of lust, free of anger, free of confusion, and Avalokiteshvara can even help you have children. <laughs> and then the sutra continues with a long list of forms that Avalokiteshvara can take. We are told that if beings can be saved by taking the form of a Buddha, Avalokiteshvara Vara can take the form of a Buddha to offer the Dharma. If beings can be saved by taking the form of a god, Avalokiteshvara can take the form of a god to offer the Dharma. 33 different forms are listed, including gods, demons, supernatural beings, and many different kinds of people, both male and female. So there are a few things I find striking here. First of all, all you need for Avalokiteshvara to help your suffering, even in the most dramatic and dire situations, is to say their name. No arduous or lengthy practices or rituals are required. And you don't have to be especially virtuous or pure. The imprisoned are helped whether or not they are guilty. It is the asking and the invocation that matters. Compassion reaches beyond categories. And second, Avalokiteshvara can take any form that is needed. And this clearly includes in the list forms that are male and forms that are female. So we know from the first moment we hear a description of Avalokiteshvara that an essential part of their nature is their ability to take on any form and to inhabit any expression of gender. Bodhisattvas, as Roshi reminded us in her talk, are embodiments of particular qualities. And in turn, they represent those qualities in ways that allow us to know them, to recognize them, and to embody them in our own lives. This bodhisattva, regarder of the cries of the world, has the infinite capacity to help anyone who asks and the infinite capacity to take on the form of any being. We could think of these qualities as separate, but I might suggest that we consider them as if they are one thing or any way joined. Compassion can be expressed in the way that we appear to each other, and we can sometimes be saved by such appearances. Though scholars feel uncertain about how and why Guanyin's transformation from male expression to female expression came about, it's my own feeling that this inherent all-sidedness of Guanyin is what made this possible. Guanyin's power to help comes from both their ability to listen and hear and their ability to transform. Guanyin's compassion is such that to hear is to transform. It's one act. There is no separation between need and response. Guanyin is inherently self-transforming, or you could say trans. So I don't know precisely what to do about this increasingly hostile political environment and social environment for LGBTQ and trans people. But one idea we can root ourselves in is the notion of pride itself. Pride begins in the idea that visibility and celebration are political forces. Pride shows the community to itself in a way that creates a joyful solidarity. Representation, visibility, and celebration matter. They are, in fact, political. 
We can stand with the trans and non-binary people in our Sangha and beyond in many ways. We can show all members of our Sangha that they are not only welcomed, but cherished. We can hold up and celebrate our trans bodhisattva, Guan Yin. Assigned male at their beginning, Guan Yin has manifested for a thousand years as female. Inherently, Guan Yin contains all gender identities and expressions, and this is both source and expression of their compassion. Let us become intimate with this aspect of our own selves. And let us embody and celebrate this transforming and transformational compassion. Guan Yin pride. I'd like to end with our traditional celebratory poem for Guan Yin. So Guan Yin's name in Japanese uh, becomes Kanon or Kanzeon. Uh, and we frequently chant uh, to Kanzeon in our services uh, in a, uh, a chant that's called the Enmeijuku Kanon Gyo. Enmeijuku Kanon Gyo. So as you chant this during our services, and I'm going to just go through it once for you now, uh, please consider it as a praise of the regarder of the cries of the world and simultaneously as a celebration of the inherent treasure of transness and of the trans people in and around our community. <clears throat> Water. Kanze on Namu Butsu yo, Butsu uen yo, Butsu uen, Bopo so en jo rakuka jo chonen, Kanze on bonen, Kanze on nenen, Jushin ki nenen, Furishin. Kanzeon at one with Buddha, directly Buddha, also indirectly Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, joyful, pure, eternal being. Morning mind is Kanzeon, evening mind is Kanzeon. Nen Nen arises from mind. Nen Nen is not separate from mind. Mm -hmm.